Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. These stories contain distressing themes and brief descriptions of violence. This content is not suitable for children, and listener discretion is advised. By the afternoon of Saturday, October 31, 1998, 22-year-old Jenny King's family became worried that she hadn't returned home after being out clubbing the night before. Her brother Andrew had seen her at Chaser's nightclub in Kingswood, Bristol in the early hours of the morning but she had never arrived at the family home just a mile away in Warmley. She wasn't with her friends, and she wasn't with her boyfriend Steve either. That afternoon, Jenny's parents would arrive home from a holiday in South Wales to find the police had been called, and their daughter Jenny was missing. When Jenny didn't turn up to a function at the Warmley Social Club that evening where she was a part-time barmaid, it was clear to everyone that something was terribly wrong. My name's Benjamin Fitton from They Walk Among Us. Welcome to Murder Town, the podcast. Following each episode of Crime and Investigation's True Crime TV series, we'll explore another case right here. Jenny King had been with her boyfriend Steve in the early evening. They had a drink and she drove him back home as he had a night planned with some other friends. She then drove to her house to get ready for a night out with girlfriends. The girls went out in Bristol city centre and after that Jenny went to the well-known Kingswood nightclub Chasers on Regent Street, a little closer to home by around 1am. Her brother Andrew was there and just after 2am he gave her a fiver to get a taxi home rather than her walking the mile or so down the busy high street to Crane Close warmly. Andrew realised the next day that Jenny hadn't come home. She hadn't gone to her boyfriend Steve's, and her friends hadn't seen her. It was totally out of character for Jenny to go off without letting anyone know, and both he and Steve raised the alarm with police. Jennifer was Ray and Margaret's middle child. Her older brother was 25 at the time, and her younger sister just 11. She worked as a receptionist at a local Bristol soft drinks company in Longwell Green, and had been with her boyfriend Steve since the beginning of that year, when the pair had met on a night out at Chasers. Police had to consider whether Jenny had decided to walk home, 
a 20-minute walk along a busy, well-lit street. When security camera footage was examined from Chasers, it showed her leaving the club at 2.15am and heading towards her house on foot. Police launched a search, joining family and friends scouring the path that she likely took. An appeal was made to the public for anyone who might have seen Jenny that night to come forward, and likewise any taxi drivers who had seen her or possibly picked her up en route. Realising the seriousness of how out of character it was for Jenny to not arrive home by now, Avon and Somerset Police arranged a press conference where her mother and father made a public appeal. Ray King told the waiting press that it was 100% out of character for her to go off without telling her parents where she was, but that if she had, or if she had become ill and someone was looking after her, to please get in touch and let them know she was safe. If she had been abducted or held against her will, then he begged the public, I ask everybody out there to look at us. We are ordinary parents. We love our children and we want Jen back. The following day, Jenny had planned to take her younger sister to Euro Disney in France, and there was no way she would have disappointed her sister and not shown up. They were not considering a scenario where Jenny may have been killed. It was not something they were willing to believe at the time. The fourth scenario is one we do not want to discuss. We are ordinary people with ordinary feelings. You cannot believe the fear and trepidation we're going through at the moment, and I would not wish you to endure it. He asked that the people of Warmley, Kingswood and Greater Bristol please check their garages and outhouses in the hope that there might be some clue. Three years earlier, like many teenagers are guilty of doing, Jenny had stayed out overnight without telling her parents where she was. They were beside themselves, and in Ray's words, he had given her a rocket afterwards. And since that night, Jenny would never go out without them knowing where she was. Questions were raised over the similarities in the disappearance of Melanie Hall ten miles away in Bath, just over two years before. In the June of 1996, 25-year-old Melanie Hall vanished after last being seen inside the Bath nightclub Cadillacs. Thirteen years later, in October 2009, some of Hall's remains were found in a plastic bag in vegetation along the M5 in South Gloucestershire, and over the years there have been a number of arrests in the case, yet all suspects have been released without charge. The fact that both young women had disappeared from, or shortly after leaving clubs within a short distance from each other, was a huge concern to the public at the time. But police announced they were not linking the two cases just yet. During the 18th and 19th centuries, Bristol enjoyed the prosperity of its expanding port and the local high-quality production of metalwares. With fuel readily available locally in the Bristol and Somerset coalfields, and the mining locally of lead, iron and later zinc, Bristol grew and expanded its boundaries to keep up with increased industry. 
William Champion and his brass and zinc works took over a large property on the east side of Bristol in Wormley. Wormley Works would soon become the first commercial integrated metal works, where everyday products made of brass, copper and zinc were manufactured. The Wormley site would soon become the largest metal processing plant in the world, with outputs of zinc, copper, brass and other metals, and was the first commercial producer of zinc in Europe. By 1769, the works employed around 200 people, and Wormley became a mecca for the working class and those looking for work in the expanding industrial estates, factories and mills of Bristol's east side. Champion would go on to expand his manufacturing works, as well as develop recreational areas and even an ornamental lake. At the time, in the famous Champion Pin Factory, entire families would find work, even children as young as six years old working full days and earning around 1p per day. As Bristol approached the 21st century, it had boomed into a city of diversity. With just under half a million residents, it was favoured by those who enjoyed a new way of living. With a mix of a city on the water, plenty of trade industries and well-regarded education, it became a destination for younger people who would help build Bristol's future artistic community and ongoing independent art, music and food scenes. By 2017, Bristol was named the most livable city in the UK, and in 2019, Bath too would claim the accolade. The search for Jenny King had begun in Kingswood where she left the club, and now covered the entire route to Warmley and its surrounds. A large operation continued to scour a wide parameter along the one-mile route sports grounds and along the Warmley Brook, which snakes its way from north to south, cutting right alongside Crane Close. It was late on Tuesday, the fourth day of the search that someone spotted something in an overgrown area just off the nearby firework close. In 1998, only part of the now fully built ring road was in use. It was a lot quieter than it is now. In the small surrounding streets near the brook, there were many tiny grassy pockets, small areas of bushes and verges. In the dense overgrown patch of grass and foliage then known as the orchard or the den, the body of a young woman was found, and although there would need to be time for a formal identification, police knew who it was. Just a few hundred yards from her home, and almost four days after she was last seen, the body of Jenny King was found. While the Home Office pathologist officially identified the body, investigators began processing the scene and scouring the den for clues. The cops was just metres from a number of houses that linked up with the sports field of what was at the time Kingsfield School. Now the ring road cuts right between the homes and the school. The spot was known to local children who sometimes played there in the thick bushes, building forts and dens. As police family liaison officers supported the family, the forensic examinations began. Jennifer was found only partly clothed. The leg of her trousers had been tied around her neck, 
and strangulation would ultimately be determined as her cause of death. Her underwear and another part of her trousers had been used as a gag, likely to stop her screaming. Although it appeared that the assailant had attempted to sexually assault her, he had not succeeded and there would be no DNA evidence found on her body. Jenny had been beaten, particularly around her face and head, and kicked in the stomach. Similarly to what had happened to Linda Cook in this series' first episode of Murder Town, the killer had stomped on Jenny's abdomen, leaving muddy boot marks. Police stated that they were following a line of inquiry after looking into an incident that had occurred six months earlier. A young mother left Chaser's nightclub in April that year and got into what she believed to be a taxi, but wasn't. The man robbed her of her jewellery, but she had got away. This turned out to be a coincidence. The following morning, a full reconstruction of Jenny's walk home took place. As police interviewed everyone in the local area, they found that no one had heard anything that night. They interviewed everyone who had been with her that evening, in particular both Jenny's brother Andrew and her boyfriend Stephen. When news broke of the murder, Stephen spoke out publicly after feeling that fingers were being pointed in his direction. He made a public statement denying having anything to do with Jenny's murder. Quote, I'm sure people have suspected me, but it wasn't me. And God help the bastard who did kill Jen, if I ever get my hands on him. I have nothing without my Jen. She had so much to live for. Out of the hundreds of clubbers interviewed who were at Chasers that night, dozens of potential suspects' names were handed over and police began looking into each one and soon around 100 officers would be on the hunt for Jenny's killer. Although forensic experts had not found any DNA evidence, they had made few impressions from the boot marks on her body and had taken green fibres from Jenny's clothing that did not match anything she was wearing. Detective Superintendent Bill Davis, along with other investigators, held a press conference at the local community centre in Warmley, the same place where Jenny had a part-time job as a barmaid. Davis confirmed that Jenny had been strangled and that she was very likely killed where she was found in the den. They still didn't know exactly how Jenny had got from the club after she was seen on security footage to the location where she was found, but it was still believed that she had walked at least part of the way. Davis confirmed that there had been no other sightings of her by the public after she left Chasers. He did reveal, however, that a lorry driver had come forward who, while dropping his truck off that night, had seen a man and a woman walking down the road from the club twice. The first time around 2.15am and then 25 minutes later as he passed again. The driver then saw the man walking in front of the woman backwards and he got the impression that the man may have been pestering the woman. They revealed that the woman did match the description of Jenny King and the man they would go on to describe as white, slim to medium build with short dark hair and in his early 20s. Davis called for local people to come forward with anyone they knew who used or visited the den 
and for the first time it was revealed that there was a high chance that the culprit was a local, someone who knew the spot and that it was relatively hidden. They pleaded with the public to come forward if they noticed anyone coming home in the early hours of Saturday morning, either with mud on their clothes or scratches on their face. A reward of £25,000 was put in place, which would raise to 36000 over the coming days. Jenny's father spoke out again. He described his family's sense of loss as gut-wrenching and the grief he and his wife had endured having to identify their daughter. He described Jenny as his little summer breeze, and he remembered her as loving and warm and always chatting, but was now faced with the memory of finding her cold, battered and lifeless. I challenge each and every one of you out there, if you dare, to close your eyes for just a few seconds and imagine yourself being in that situation. It is your worst nightmare. I firmly believe now that there can be no greater sense of loss than the death of a child who had everything in the world to look forward to. This time his pleas were for anyone with any information or that can help tracking down their daughter's killer. He asked that if anyone in the greater area had noticed someone acting suspiciously since Saturday to please come forward. He asked that anyone who might be hiding somewhere to please come forward. Quote, Please stop what you are doing for a few seconds now and reflect. There is out there someone, a very dangerous person who must be caught and treated accordingly. He could well offend again. Until he is caught, there will remain an overriding element of fear wherever you are. If the person who committed this vile act is out there listening or watching this, then I plead with him to look into his conscious and soul. You cannot imagine the nightmare that we are going through at this moment. Myself, my wife and family and thousands of people who knew Jenny, they are all so distraught. Police had revealed that after searching the dense brambles and foliage, they had a new clue. Two keys. One brass stamped with Made in England and one silver, stamped with Mr. Minute. The keys were linked by two simple rings and had been found at the den. They didn't have any rust or corrosion, and so investigators were hopeful that the keys had not been there long, and with both keys having serial numbers, detectives were optimistic they would be able to track down the owner. They didn't belong to Jenny, and so the hope was that they were dropped by her murderer. Superintendent Davis described the keys at the press conference in hopes that someone would recognise them as belonging to someone they knew, or maybe even someone they live with, saying, quote, There is a very strong possibility the keys belong to the person that killed Jennifer. If anyone came home early last Saturday morning the day Jennifer disappeared and was locked out and banging on the door, let us know. The keys were copied, and a group of detectives had begun going door-to-door, -door, trying the keys in all the homes in the area, as well as checking the homes of any suspects that had come up during the inquiry. After the televised appeal, a woman phoned the police to say that she knew of a young man who had lost his keys early that Saturday morning. When detectives arrived at the home, 
they found a 21-year-old factory worker, Paul Hunt, living with his mother in Warmley, around a mile from where Jenny was found. When detectives tried the keys, they found both fit the front and back doors. Hunt was immediately taken in for questioning, while a number of items from his home were taken and tested. He admitted that on the night of the murder, he had been at Chase's nightclub with a friend. Police had already scanned the CCTV footage and had seen him exit the club alone at 1.30am. They had already been told by his mother that two hours later at 3.30 in the morning, he woke her up banging on the back door because he had lost his keys. Even though Hunt couldn't account for where he was between 1.30am and 3.30am, he denied that he had seen Jenny King. He denied walking with her, pestering her and he denied killing her. Forensic experts reported back their findings on Hunt's belongings. There was a pair of trucker brand boots that his mother had bought for him. The morning after Jenny had disappeared, Hunt had requested his mother try to return the boots to the city centre store where she had bought them. The shoes had been worn and had mud on the soles. Mud was taken and found to bear a striking similarity to the mud at the location of the murder, and the tread pattern matched the prints found on Jenny's body. Police had also taken some of Hunt's clothing. A green Ralph Lauren polo shirt was tested and was found to match the green fibres found on Jenny's clothing. Paul Hunt was an only child who lived with his mother since the age of five when his father left the household. He was at the time a factory worker, but he had previously had a job as a barback at the Bridge Yate pub The Hollybush, where Jenny had a bar job. It wasn't just this connection Hunt had to Jenny. The pair had gone to primary school together. On November 11th, 1998, 12 days after Jenny's murder, Paul Hunt was arrested at his home. Police did not reveal his name to the public until charges were laid, although reporting restrictions were placed on the case until trial. Both his and his mother's cars were removed for forensic testing, and soil samples were taken from the front and back garden. He was charged with murdering Jenny sometime between October 30th and November 1st, 1998. The following day, he appeared before the North Avon Magistrates' Court and was committed for trial at Bristol Crown Court. Bail was refused and he was remanded in custody for three months pre-trial. With a plea of not guilty, Hunt faced the Bristol Crown Court and a jury of eight men and four women in February of 1999. Jenny's parents stood strong through the presentation of physical evidence presented by Roderick Denner QC, the lead prosecutor on the case, and the jury heard that although there would be no DNA evidence to link Hunt to the crime, they would find clarity in the vital evidence presented. The keys, the shoes, the fibres, and the testimony that Hunt was on camera leaving chasers that night, and after two unaccounted hours arrived home with no means of getting in. When Detective Superintendent Bill Davis, who led the police investigation, took the stand, he said, quote, Jenny was a lovely young lady. She was well-liked in the community, 
a vivacious young girl. She was brutally murdered by Hunt because she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was family and friends who had enabled the investigating officers to piece together Hunt's night on October 30th, and they had established that he had gone out with two friends that evening, first to McCluskey's nightclub, and then on to Chase's. Hunt's girlfriend had stayed home as she wasn't feeling well. It was said that Paul Hunt had consumed eight pints of lager before exiting Chase's alone at 1.30am. This is when police believe he hung around or had been wandering when he came upon Jenny King walking home. The two had some knowledge of each other, and so at this point Hunt struck up a conversation. This was likely what was occurring when the lorry driver saw the man walking backwards in front of the woman, resembling Jenny. What occurred exactly over the course of the hour or so until he arrived back at his house, only Hunt knows. The evening after Jenny's death, when she lay deceased in the local children's play area that Hunt knew well, he had gone out with a friend to play pool, and then later that night was out drinking again with his friends, who had no idea what he had done. Prior information on Hunt had come to the surface while preparing for trial. He had, in the past, been cautioned by police for both indecent exposure and for making obscene phone calls. An investigation into phone calls made by Hunt in the six months prior to Jenny's murder found that he had made approximately 4,000 calls to women in the Bristol area, threatening many that he would rape them. All these phone calls had been made from the home he shared with his mother in Warmley. There was no evidence to suggest that he had made any such phone calls to Jenny, all the victims of the calls were apparently chosen at random, and there were no suggestions he had followed through on any of the threats. Phone records showed that before he went out that evening, on October 30th, 1998, he made 80 threatening calls to local women. Detective Superintendent Bill Davis called him, quote, a callous, ruthless and brutal killer. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. When Paul Hunt took the stand and spoke with his defense solicitor, Mr. Ian Kelsey, he stated he could not recall ever meeting Jenny King. In his own words, he said that if he had in fact killed Jenny, then he, quote, would not be putting her family, friends and relatives through what they are going through. After 12 days of evidence, the jury deliberated for four hours before returning their unanimous verdict of guilty. As it was read to the court, applause erupted as Jenny's family and friends cried and consoled each other. As Hunt was sentenced to life in prison, the presiding judge, Mrs. Justice Hallett, spoke to him as he stared straight ahead, saying nothing. Justice Hallett said in part, quote, Jenny King was a lovely young woman with everything to live for. She died at your hands, tragically young, because she rejected your sexual advances. I also suspect the reason you got close enough to make sexual advances to her was because she recognized you as someone from her childhood, someone she trusted. The evidence against you was overwhelming, but you continue to protest your innocence. You denied her family the comfort of that. You declared in the witness box that if you had killed Jenny King, you would have admitted it to spare her family their ordeal. That was a wicked and bare-faced lie. Jenny's father, Ray, made a statement outside the court. We are very pleased that the right result has come to fruition. He appears to be evil personified, and I've got nothing but the uttermost loathing for him as a person. This has been a living nightmare. Throughout this trial, we have heard details for the first time about what happened that night, and they were horrific. Jenny has no future. He callously took that away, it is obvious to all who have been present at this trial that he is not just a murderous liar, but evil personified. When Jenny's boyfriend Steve spoke, he said in part, quote, I'm going home without my girlfriend, and he'll never realise how much he has taken away. He'll never realise just what he's done. I loved her. She was everything to me. She was my best friend as well as my girlfriend. She was the happiest girl in the whole world. I'm Catherine Kelly, host of Crime and Investigation's true crime TV series, Murder Town. For more information on the series, head to crimeandinvestigation.co.uk and let us know your thoughts by searching for Crime and Investigation on social media or using hashtag Murder Town. 
The Murder Town podcast is hosted by Benjamin Fitton, researched and written by Anna Priestland, and edited and produced by Chloe Frost. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.